All right. No, we're not going to use it. Change plans. Dan was signaling to me for something for help, and you change it up. Here we go. All right, man, this is great. All right, boys and girls, I'm a walker talker, so I'm not going to sit down like some of the other teachers do, okay? So I can sort of move around here and sort of scope out who I've got to help me. Okay, because here's, I'm going to need some help, okay? You tell me, have you ever had a job, a task, something so big, you're thinking, I can't do this by myself. Has anybody heard something they had to do that said, I cannot do this by myself? What was that job that you had? Clean your room. Too big of a mess for you, right? So you needed some help. Good one. Oh boy, here it comes. And this one is? Sweep the floor. You must have one big dirty floor and you needed help. Okay, I'll go with that. Sometimes you can't what? You can't make your bed, so you need help. All right, good. Anybody else have a really big job? Maybe your parents or somebody said, I need you to do this. And you're thinking, how will I ever do this by myself? Yeah. You had to win a baseball tournament on your birthday. And did you? Nice. That's a big task all by yourself. Good thing you got teammates. Yeah. It's coming. You play baseball too? Do you do it all by yourself or do you need teammates? Do you need other people to help you? You're going to play t-ball this year. Are you going to do it all by yourself or are you going to have people there with you? You going to have other people too on your team? Yes, good. I was going for that answer. You did a good job. Thank you. Okay, let's go one more right here. Your basement. What about your basement? You have to clean the basement? Big job, right? I know a big guy that can help you. Let's have him up here. Mr. Chester, come here, please. Oh, no, 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 come here. You're done with Legos. I've heard that before. They've heard that in my house. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. I've got Matt up here, okay? He's going to help us out. I've got a big task for you guys today. Let me see. Um, let's see. Can I have a volunteer? Can I have a girl maybe volunteer? Help me out right here. Okay, you've already helped me out, so I'm going to have you come here, okay? This is what I'm going to you do. I would like you to pick Mr. Tester up off the floor, at least that far. Can you do that for me? You can't do that? Is that too big of a task for you? I got an idea. This is where we're going to get creative. Mr. Tester, would you please lay down on the floor on your back? Excellent. And why don't you come down here by his head? Okay. It won't bite. Okay. Now, this is where, we're going to, this is where teammates come in. Now, I'm going to have a bunch of you help out now. Okay. So, one, two, three, four. And I'm going to sort of place you. Okay. That's all right. Come on up. One more. Anybody over there want to come over and help? Any over there? Anybody over here want to help? Do I need to start pulling people? Okay, come here. Come here. Yep, right there. The blue shirt. Come here. Come on over. You want to help me out? You sure? No? Yes, come on down. Come on. I need three more people. Oh, here, you're going to be good. Right down here. I'm going to come you right here. And let's have you come right here. Get across from your dad right there. Okay, you're right there, good. You're right here, and you're right here. Okay, step up, step up. Actually, I want you, I want you down here by his head, and you're gonna come around over here. Good, and you're right there, and you're gonna come right here. 
Okay, Mr. Tester, if you could do me a favor and just sort of put your hands or if you want to cross wherever you want to put them, that's great. I've got room. I need a couple more people. Can I have two more kids help me out? Two more? Come on up here. That's good. That's excellent. Now I want you all to take your hands and just slide them right underneath Mr. Tester. Okay. Now wait, now wait, now wait, now wait. Oh, don't lift them yet. We're going to do it on the count of three. Okay. Everybody ready? One. Now wait, now wait, 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 just a second. Wait a second, wait a second. Once we get them up, now listen carefully. We're going to slowly put him down. You've got the important part. You've got his head. We don't want that broken. Okay? Okay, I'm going to witness this. Everybody, you lift his head. Okay? It's okay. It's shaved all nice and tight for you. Okay. On a count of three. One, two, three, lift. Ah! Oh, we got a little problem down here. Ready? One, two, three, lift. Oh, good. All right, slowly bring him down. Slowly bring him down. Wow. Nice job. Thank you, Matt. Wow. You said you couldn't lift him. You said you couldn't lift him. Who said they couldn't lift him? You said you couldn't lift him. Now, here's the thing. That seemed like mission impossible. No way to do it, right? But you did it. How did you do it? With help. Sometimes things seem so big, there's no way we can do it, do it by ourselves. So that's where we sort of call our family in and our friends in and even people we don't know to accomplish a task that is way bigger than us. Boys and girls, God always wants to help us with big things. And sometimes we can't do it by ourselves. So this is what we do. We pray and we ask God, God, help me. I've got a big, big thing coming up. I need your help. God is a great God who wants us to help. He is very, what we call, faithful in wanting to help. So boys and girls, look right here. This is what we do. We're going to pray. And you're going to go to your children's classes. And we're going to remember that God can help us with all kinds of big things, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us do big things. Because by ourselves, we just can't seem to do it, and sometimes it's scary. But I thank you that we have friends and family and people we don't even know that will come along. But more importantly, you are there to help us do big things. In the name we pray, amen. Okay, you can go to your classes. Off they go. That was great. They did a great job. Matt got lifted up, man. We always talk about all it takes is one person to knock you down. It takes everybody else to lift you up. And we just saw it. So that was good. As they're heading back to their classes, I'm going to remind you that there should be a prayer sheet on the back wall back there. Where's Dan at? Oh, he's helping them back. Okay. We'll double check. There should be a prayer sheet over on the table to sign up for this Saturday's prayer event. Now, we've been doing these 24-hour prayer events this one is just an all-day event. It doesn't matter to me what time. Oh, there you are, Sarah. Is it back there? You don't know? It was in the... It's back there. Okay, good. All right. All we're asking you to do is sign up to pray sometime Saturday. Take 30 minutes sometime. doesn't matter when. If you want to get up at 12.01 on Saturday morning and pray, or maybe before you go to bed at 12.01... Maybe you pray for 30 minutes. Maybe you get up in the morning and pray. Maybe in the middle of the afternoon. Maybe at halftime of a ball game. You're sitting there going, oh, my team needs help. Um, I don't know what it may be. But you find 30 minutes on Saturday and pray. Why is that? Because our church needs prayer. Right? And with the vote coming up on Sunday, with the capital campaign moving forward, with our church, I believe we've drawn a line in the sand back on May 5th and said we are a church that's going to stand up and we're going to share Christ more, we're going to love more, we're going to disciple more, we're doing all this. And I'm telling you right now, we've got this big bullseye on the front of our chest and on the back that basically the devil says, no, you're not. And we're saying, yes, we are. 
And so we need to understand we need to pray for each other if we want to be obedient. So let's continue to pray. So this Saturday, again, we're just asking you as a church, and some of you are like, I don't need to sign up. I'm going to pray. Okay, I've played that game before. Thank you. Sign up, would you please? Okay. Why is that? Because I love knowing that the body of Christ is working together. I know you're going to pray, but I like looking at a piece of paper as a reminder because a lot of times our faith gets a little weak, and we're like, does anybody really care? Do you ever feel that way? Maybe on your birthday? Nobody said happy birthday, but if everybody knew it was your birthday, what would they say? Happy birthday! Okay, it wasn't too difficult, okay? Merry Christmas? No. Um, if people knew it was your birthday, they'd probably wish you happy birthday, but some days we just don't hear what we need to hear. So sometimes when I see something like a piece of paper that people signed up on, you know what that reminds me? Thank you, God, for, for an awesome church. Thank you that people are remaining faithful to you. It's a simple reminder I need to see sometimes. It's not just for my sake. It's for others as well. So make sure you take just a couple seconds when you're way out. Sign up if you forgot. Email me, text me, call me. Say, hey, put me on that paper. We'll throw your name on it. Okay? We've already had a few of those. Turn in your Bibles. First Kings chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We will bring one to you. First Kings 19. It's in the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 19. You know, I was listening to a sermon, <coughs> excuse me, by another pastor, and I was very inspired. And he said, well, I was reading a book called Greater by another pastor. His name is Pastor Stephen Furtick. And so I thought, well, I want to see what this book's about that inspired him. And what inspired him was from First Kings. And so I've been reading all these guys, and I was starting to get inspired. And I thought, I've just got to share this message with you. So I took some of that inspiration from them, along with what God has laid upon my heart, and intertwined it together and say, God, what do you want me to say? And that's where this morning and actually next week and a couple of next weeks uh, will be coming from is, is all of that. So 1 Kings chapter 19, and I want to fill you in on this too. This is about a man by the name of Elisha. Let me hear you say Elisha. Say it like that. Shah. Okay, why did I have you say that? Because a lot of times we get mixed up with Elijah. There's Elijah and Elisha. And I, always, I used to always get them confused. Who is first, who is second? Elijah with a J, Elisha with an S. J comes before S in the alphabet. That's how I remember, okay? Jennifer Stump, I mean Jenny Stump, okay? I just got the look. Um, you or she's in trouble. Now I'm in trouble. Um, J before S. So I'm, I'm sharing this with you because both characters come into play in this story. And we need to remember the order for how they work and how this transpires, okay? So the time in which this book was written <clears throat> or took place, there was a great contention between people and God. People had fallen away from worshiping God. They're now following all these other idols, worshiping Baal, a false god. And as they were worshiping them, um, God set up this incredible thing that took place on Mount Carmel. Um, and I don't know if you remember that, that whole situation, but it was, we'll call it the best of Friday Night Lights because this was an incredible victory where Elijah is on this mountain by himself as a man of God facing 850 false prophets of Baal. One versus 850. A showdown between two altars. Whose God is going to be revealed tonight? And as you remember, the story goes, 
Elijah's God, our God, revealed himself. The prophets of Baal failed. It was an incredible victory. I mean, you have to feel really good about yourself after something like this. Like, God showed up in a big way, right? After this story, right after that took place, Elijah, believe it or not, did not feel so victorious. We're going to pick this up, chapter 19, verse 14. Chapter 19, verse 14. Because Elijah actually ran off to a cave and he's hiding, and God meets him there. He replied again. This is Elijah. Because God just said, what are you doing here? This is the cave, okay? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Okay, a little self-pity, a little boo-hoo. Look at me. I'm, I'm feeling really bad for myself. Okay, verse 15. Then the Lord told him, go back the way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazael to the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shephath, from Abimelech, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel to be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Listen to verse 18. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. Elijah, please listen to me. You are not alone. You feel alone. You just defeated 850 prophets of Baal. You feel like you're alone. You were victorious, and you're not alone. There's 7,000 others who worship me. You're not by yourself. So now Elijah's like, okay, I'm not alone. Now, what was one of the instructions that he was given to him? Go and meet up with Elisha. Anoint him. He's the next one you're going to mentor. He's the one you're going to disciple, so to say. So we look at this, and Elisha is the one then who studied under Elijah. Elisha is actually recorded in the Bible for having more miracles than anybody else except Jesus Christ himself. And that's pretty amazing because in the Old Testament, when you saw big things happening, it was usually something dealing with judgment, and it wasn't a good thing. But the miracles that we saw performed with Elisha as opposed to even Elijah, were miracles of healing for people and incredible things. Elisha was just your ordinary guy, a farmer out in the field, when Elijah shows up. Now, for the past couple years, one of my uh, points of emphasis with, with athletes and coaches and a lot of people that I meet with is this. Most of us are not in danger of ruining our lives. Most of us are in danger of wasting our lives. That's been my point made the past couple of years with a lot of people I meet with. A lot of people are fine with status quo, being average, uh, good is good enough. And I'm sitting there saying, no, it's not, because God created you to be great with a great purpose and a great passion. So it's not about you ruining your life, it's about you wasting your life. And so that's a lot of times my mess out with a lot of the schools and the places I go to speak. And, uh, and I always think about this, you know, my greatest opponent, as I tell kids, as I tell coaches, is not the person who lines up across from you in the opposing jersey. Spouses, your greatest opponent is not your spouse. There's a few of us in this room that we went to a marriage conference together many years ago, and, and we've learned this. I already see Lisa smiling over there. And we've learned what? That, you want to say it? 
you're not my enemy. Right, you look at your spouse eye to eye and say, you're not my enemy, okay? Sometimes it feels that way, like you're in opposition, but you're not. You're on the same team together, husband and wife. So, you know, as a husband and wife, as an athlete, as a person out there with all kinds of relationships, listen, they're not your greatest opponent. Your greatest opponent is just being status quo average, wasting your life away because you're just satisfied with where you're at, okay? Doing enough to get by. Uh, God created us for greater things. And anyone involved in serving God, the God of this universe, follows his purpose for the matter of greatness for him, not for us. Not so I can pump my chest and say, look at me. I was created for greatness for him. All glory to him, to God. Now here in this passage, Elisha wasn't searching for greater. Elisha wasn't out there in the field saying, I want to do great things for God. You know what Elisha was doing? Elisha was plowing fields. Let's go on and let's read verse 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphath, plowing a field with a team of oxen. Now there were 11 teams of oxen ahead of him. He was plowing with the 12th team. And Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and walked away again. And Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah and said, First let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah said, Go on back, but consider what I've done to you. Elisha then returned to his oxen, killed them, used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the other plowmen. They all ate, and then he went with Elijah as his assistant. What a cool story, okay? And a lot of us are sitting there going, that was weird, right? Elijah's walking behind oxen, okay? Elisha is. As he, just think about this. What if you've never grew up on a farm, ever been a part of a farm, if you've ever plowed a field, today, I mean, the machinery is so much better than it was years ago. But can you imagine walking behind a team of oxen? Guess what you get to look at the whole time? Oxen rear ends, right? Okay? And what do you do? You go up and back the field. Up and back. Up and back. Up and then a flip and then back. There's no flips. You know what I'm saying? It's just monotonous. It's the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And your scenery does not change. The stench does not change. Everything is the same as you go back and forth and back and forth. That was life at that moment. Okay? So when you look about that and you think about that, let me ask you this. Anybody ever feel like you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again? Your job... Maybe if you're in sales, whatever it may be, it's like, I'm doing this again, and I'm doing this again. Or, hey, I'm teaching this lesson again, and I'm teaching this lesson again, and these kids don't get it. Or it's diapers, and then it's laundry, and then it's dishes. Oh, and then it's diapers, and then it's laundry, and then it's dishes. Oh, guess what I get to do tonight? Diapers, and then laundry, and then dishes. Okay, some of the moms are finally saying, amen, brother, preach it, okay? You know what I'm saying? It's that ordinary thing over and over and over again. This is what Elisha's doing. It's just a monotonous daily job. And then all of a sudden, guess what? God shows up. God shows up through Elijah. The man of God arrives on the scene, takes his cloak, and places it over the shoulders of Elisha. That's a very significant thing that takes place because the cloak was a symbol of Elijah's prophetic uh, authority. It was a symbol basically saying, listen, 
I call upon you to work as a prophet as I was a prophet. In the way I serve, you will serve. In the way I teach, you will teach. In the authority that I follow God, you will follow God. Do you see what's happening here? If I'm under the authority of God, guess what? Now you are under the authority of God. God's greater calling happens in a moment. But what is important that we catch here is our response to those moments. Because in the midst of maybe your ordinary day or something that's going on, God will give you something, but the question is, how do you respond to it? Did you miss it? Did you let it go? Dismiss it as, well, that was sort of a coincidence or weird how that happened. Not realizing that maybe God was taking his cloak and putting it upon you and saying, you're under my authority, this is what I want you to do. Did we catch it or not? You ever sense that maybe God's inviting you to escape that scenery of defeat and negativity and material possessions? Now, this doesn't always mean something um, different, but perhaps where you live needs to be done with greater pa- purpose and passion. Maybe God isn't saying, hey, I want you to, to leave this job or leave this state, but maybe God said, I want you to leave the state of emotion you are in right now and start living with greater purpose and passion. Here's the first point. If you're a note taker, write this down. You don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. Did you catch that? You don't have to understand to obey immediately. See, a lot of times I think, well, as soon as I can fully understand this, then I'll do it. No, you don't. Who told you that? I think that's our, our simple security system that's been built within us to say, I'll feel better about this if I can fully understand it. Why? Do you understand that's what faith is all about? Men and women of faith don't have to fully understand it to obey immediately. You watch what Elisha does. He left the oxen standing there. He ran after Elijah. Okay, in case you missed it, let's leave this again. He left the oxen in the middle of the field. The tractor's running, and he takes off running over here to meet up with Elijah. That's some complete abandonment. He didn't say, hey, 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 Elijah, before I come running after you, this is what I want to do. I need some time to pray about it. I need some time to think about it. I need some time to consult with some other Christian people that I know, my pastor, and and, and I need to write down the pros and cons, and let me share share something with you. Those are all good things, okay? They really are. And making important decisions, those are good things. Pray about it, write down the pros and cons. But you know what, as Christians, I think we use those as excuses bigger than anybody else. We're afraid to say yes or no, so what do we say? I'll pray about it. We already know what the answer is sometimes, don't we? I think we do. I think a lot of times we already know what we're supposed to be doing. But we're not completely, fully understanding. So what do we do? Oh, let me write down the pros and cons. Oh, let me go ask somebody else. Oh, let me pray about it. Oh, let me, let me. Those are good things. Again, please hear me on saying this. Those are good things. But sometimes you don't have to do those things because you already know the answer. You don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. If you don't be on a shelf of doubt, you know what? I'm supposed to do this then don't look at that person across from you and say, hey, let me think about it. No, look at them and say, you know what? I've just been waiting for somebody to ask. Hey, you know what? It's funny. I feel like I've been supposed to be doing something like this. Obey immediately. You know, when we did this P9, or, I'm sorry, D90X series and said, okay, we're going to pray more. We're going to read the Bible more. We're going to share our faith more. And then in the past 10 weeks, we've been sort of challenging you and doing that. Why did we do that? 
Why did we do that? I mean, did we just do that so that we can sound good or look good? I hope not. I hope we did that so that we are prepared now to obey immediately. We're getting in shape spiritually so that when God shows up and puts his cloak over and says, hey, it's time for you to, we're like, here I am, let's go. I've been praying, I've been reading scripture, I've been sharing my faith, I've been doing these things. I've been, you know, I am so ready. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. If God says commit, you commit. If God says you adopt, you adopt. If God says that relationship you have right now is very not good for you, then break up, then break up. If God says this is the way, then do it. In 2003, I sat in a church service in the back row, sitting there saying, what's that, God? You are done? And I came home that day from church and looked at Jenny sitting on the couch, and I said, it's time. And she goes, I know. And I'm thinking, this is weird. <laughs> wow. How did you know? Oh, God told me. I was just waiting for you to hear it from him. And it was at that point in time I resigned from my position as a youth pastor. Hey, 15 years at that church was awesome. It really was. A lot of great memories. Now, a lot of you were in the youth group there when I was a youth pastor. I'm family. I, I, I could always depend on a paycheck. I had opportunities to see lives change for eternity. Why would I ever want to leave a church? Why would, why would, why would that be? This doesn't make sense. When God says, you are done, guess what? I am done. And that was very clear to me. You know, three, four months later, I mean, again, I had no resumes laying out there. I had no job offers. It was just one of those, I need to go talk to leadership and tell them I need to resign because <laughs> God said. I didn't understand fully, but I knew I needed to obey immediately. And I went and resigned, but asked them if I could stick around six months to see the seniors graduate. And they let me. I appreciated that. But the next three or four months then, it was like, okay, God, you told me to jump out of the boat and follow. What do I do? So three months down the road, I'm at a leadership conference at Willow Creek with the student leaders and adult leaders, and we're sitting around a table, sitting with a bunch of strangers I don't know. Before, it was really odd. I mean, at that point in time, I started to know down, okay, God, do you want me to work with Fellowship of Christian Athletes? Do you want me to be a youth pastor in Illinois? Do you want me to move up to a church plant that's just getting started in Spring Ar I'm sorry, um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan? And all the Ohio State fans were saying, no. Okay. Uh, just kidding. All right. I had to throw that one in there just to make you chuckle a little. Okay. Um, or am I supposed to go to Toledo Christian School and be a teacher and a coach there? What, okay, God, the options are starting to fall out here, but I still had no clue. So I'm sitting around this table with these men, and one gentleman, is, I just met him at lunch. He says, you know who you remind me of? And I said, I have no idea who I remind you of. He goes, you remind me of so-and-so. Oh, okay. Is he a good guy or what? Oh, yeah. Great guy. He lives in Kansas City. He works for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. You're just like him. I'm going, oh. He didn't know that I was leaving the church and that I had no idea where I was going and that FCA was probably one of those options for me. And I looked over at a buddy that was sitting there with me, and he looked at me and goes, ooh. Like, how did he know? I don't know. And then the next thing, we're sitting in this big auditorium, and the pastor who's speaking says, he, he just started preaching from God's Word, and I'm just sitting there, and it just hit me. And God had laid upon my heart. Who has impacted you? And I thought about this hard. Who's made the biggest impact in my life? Probably my dad. And then I thought, then they said, okay, who's impacted you now? Who are you going to impact? And how will that person create a ripple effect and then another ripple effect and if 
affect them, and so forth and so on. And he said, take a three by five and write down a circle and then another circle, another circle, and just let God speak to you on what it is. And it was so clear to me. I believe God wants me, first of all, to be an impact on my family and then those in Wauseon. And then the next outer ring was Fulton County. And I feel God wants me to ripple, but I don't know how or what. A few months later, I'm hired to work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes to come in Fulton, Henry, Williams, Defiance, and Paulding counties to work with how many schools? Only three schools have FCA. Well, here we are 10 years later, and now there are 60 schools that we work with. And all of a sudden, it sort of rippled. I just saw the ripple effect take off. And it was sort of like, now 10 years later, oh, it all makes sense. When God said, you are done, now I'm sitting there and saying, I get it. You know what, two years from now, I hope I can raise my hand and say, oh, why did True North do this? I get it. Ten years from now, I get it, okay? But right now, I don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Everybody understand that? Okay, now here's the second thing. Let's look at this next part, verse 21, because this is really strange. Elisha then returned to the oxen, and he killed them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. And he passed around the meat to the other plowmen, and they ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So basically, he killed the cow and burnt the plow. Okay? Repeat after me. Kill the cow, burn the plow. That's a great bumper sticker, isn't it? Okay. Nobody would have any idea what that means. You know, he took his team of oxen. That was like his tractors. That was his livelihood. And he cut them up. And he took his plow and burned it up so that he could have a feast and feed all of his buddies and his family. Wow, his livelihood, his resources. You talk about letting go of the past and moving forward, he just showed us. Kill the cow, burn the plow. You crazy? You know what a lot of us would have done? I would have done this, no doubt about it. Maybe I wouldn't have, but I'm, I'm gonna assume knowing my nature of who I am. I would have kept the plow, kept the oxen, thinking if this doesn't work with Elijah, I can come back to it. Or maybe I ought to keep the plow and the cows, the oxen, just in case that can help me with Elijah. That's extra resources in my pocket that I could carry around with me. Elijah said, no, I, you know what? If I'm going to obey you right now immediately, it's time for me to cut ties with what I'm doing and make sure that I have no reason to turn back. I think it's so easy for us to say, I want to obey God, but we always had that opportunity to come back to him, right? If you remember when Jesus was in the boat with Peter and his fishing buddies, you remember what happened the first time they met him? They push off from the shore, they get out in the water, and right away after Jesus gets done teaching, he says, hey, let's go fishing now. And Peter's like, hey, rabbi, teacher, we're fishermen, seasoned fishermen. This is our occupation, our job. You are a carpenter. You're actually a great teacher, and you want to fish. This is not the time of the day, but because you said we will, so they went out. And then Jesus said, cast your nets over here. And then I'm sure they're sitting there going, oh, that's not a good spot. The fishing spot is over here. But because you said so, we will. And they cast their nets into the water. And what happened? The greatest fishing story in history happened. As they tried to lift the nets, they couldn't lift the nets out of the water because there was so much fish in there. They had to call on all the other boats to try to get those nets up and those fish up to get them to shore. It was so heavy. Their nets were breaking. Their boats were sinking. The greatest thing in, that ever happened, happened. And then they get to the shore, and what happens? Jesus says, come be my followers, right? 
I'll make you fishers of men. And what did they do? They left their nets and immediately followed him. They just had the greatest day in sales ever. They just had the most profitable day in business ever. Nothing can top what just took place for them in their lives as a business, in their personal lives. And what did they do? They abandoned it all and followed Jesus. Of all times, I would think that's the best time to stay in business when it became so profitable for them. But you see, some of us experience that call. When God calls, we respond immediately. You don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. And then the second thing, you know, I'm learning out of this, when this took place, is this, is that sometimes God loves to use those people who hold on to things the least. You want to use by God? Learn to do this. Open up your hands. I believe God takes people who know how to let go and uses them the most. Those who God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. I, that, that just floored me. Here's Elisha accepting God's call, invitation to a greater life, leaving nothing for himself to go back to. Can't go back to that, can he? Uh, let's go back and plow. Where's my plow at? Oh, there's a bunch of ashes here. Well, where's my oxen at? And these guys got toothpicks picking meat out of their teeth. You're what? Your oxen? Guess you aren't plowing today, are you, buddy? He can't go back, can he? When I was a kid, I remember the first time I did something that was really radical for God. I took my, um, my non-Christian cassette tapes. Yes, cassette tapes. Not eight tracks, okay? And kids are going, what? Cassette? It's old man version of CD, okay? Um, and these, these tapes, we had like groups and songs that in my Baptist church that I grew up in, you don't listen to those. So, of course, what do we do? We listened to them in our room, and mom and dad couldn't hear them, okay? And I had all these things to Columbia House and, you know, buy 13 for a penny or something like, just with three more to go the rest of the next three years. Uh, so I did. I had all these cassettes all over the place. And after one Sunday night service, I came home, grabbed all those cassettes, saying, this doesn't honor God. Took them to the burn barrel, threw them in there and saying, oh, what was I doing listening to that music, you know? I probably did that like twice, because then a few... You know, years later, it's like, oh, what's wrong with that music? You know, yeah, I like a little bit of this. And 1992, um, I'll never forget the fall of 1992. I went to, with the youth group, to this conference. We listened to this gentleman talk about music. And he helped me understand a few things that I, you know, it's like, oh, the beat doesn't affect me. It's just whatever. What I discovered was that every time I pulled money out of my pocket to buy a cassette tape, a CD, or whatever, guess where that money goes? the person who sang the songs, right? So if that person is a drug addict, a child molester, or they're putting pornographic songs out there just filtering into the ears of our kids and ourselves, guess what, who I, what I'm supporting? Hey, why don't you go make another song? Hey, why don't you go write another song? Ooh, that changed my thought a little bit more about what I was listening to. Then I thought about this, Philippians 4.8. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, whatever is pleasing, lovely, excellent, or admirable, or praiseworthy, think on these things. Then I have to sit there and go, so is this song praiseworthy? Probably not. Okay. Was this song pure? No. And it's funny. Now that I, thanks to those apps, I pull up, uh, we're at ball games, and I hear songs playing. Hey, I wonder what that song is. I play I remember that song, and, I, and the lyrics pop up. I'm going, oh, those were the lyrics? Wow. 
didn't realize that. Okay, now I know why I burned all those cassettes. But it was in 1992 I came home and I said, I am only, this is my personal conviction when God laid upon my heart, I'm only going to listen to Christian music. I'm not saying that all the music is horrible and bad. I'm just saying, God said, Rex, this is what needs to go into your ears. Because all of us know adults. We all know. You start playing a tune from 20 years ago, we can all finish that tune, right? Whatever comes in here sticks. So kids, whatever you're listening to, I'm telling you right now, 20 years from now, it sticks. Okay, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the first rap group I ever listened to. You, got, you what? I know, I want to be a break dancer. Didn't work out for me, but anyway. Um, that stuff sticks. I came home in the fall of 1992. I came home, and guess what? Yes FM came on the air that day for the first time. Oh, what a coincidence. Or maybe God was sort of, you know what? You got rid of it, so let me fulfill it with something else. I've never been without a radio station since 1992 to be able to listen to. Let me ask you this. What are the plows and the oxen in your life right now that you need to let go of? What do you need to burn and get rid of? What dependencies have you been depending on way too much? What ways of thinking, what kind of resentment or bitterness or excuses do you have harboring here that's like, you know what, God, that's nothing but a plow and an oxen, and I need to burn it and let it go? What are you holding on to? What securities have you made your security in your life more than God? Dan's verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Ephesians 4, 24, and Colossians 3, 10, all scripture that basically talks about who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. Who? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, What this means, we who have become Christians have become new persons. Let me hear you say new persons. One more time. That means we're not the same anymore, for the old life is gone and the new life has begun. When I burn the plow and I, burn and I kill the cow or oxen, I am starting something new. That's what Elisha was doing. When we give our lives to Christ, it is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, says this. You must display a new nature because you're a new person. You're created in righteous, holy, and true. We are new people. We need to act like new people, right? Remember, God makes all things new. And if you're new in Christ, why are we still acting the same? Why are we still giving the same? Why are we still talking the same? Why are we still witnessing the same? Take a blank, put any word in there and say, why are we doing this the same when we are new in Christ? Listen, he wants our open-ended obedience, bottom line here. He wants us to say, yes, God, I will follow you. Accepting the invitation to greater things starts with basically a decisive break to move from the old stuff. You don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. And those who God uses the most are usually the ones who hold on to the least. We're an important time in our church. Next week we're going to move, vote whether we move forward or not with a new building. So next week you'll find out at the end of the service we're going to start preparing to move into a new building or we're just going to stay here. That's what we'll find out. And then we're also, you need to understand this, two separate things here, 
We're at the beginning of a building campaign in which we're becoming more aware of our giving habits. How are we doing with giving? How are we doing with giving back to God? How am I, your pastor, going to apply these two principles to what is approaching us in the next couple weeks? Let me say this. I don't have to fully understand to obey immediately, okay? The second question I have to ask myself is, how can I hold on to less? You know, I know as a pastor, I need to make sure this is clear from the pulpit, what God's laid upon my heart for vision awareness for the capital campaign. Tom Murphy said, Rex, you've got to make sure that you preach it from the pulpit and you share where everybody understands your story. So I want to share with you my story as we wrap this up. Worship team, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come forward while I'm sharing my story here. Because, see, my faith story is real simple. I mean, it's so simple. Okay, you all know, basically from what I've shared before, I grew up in a Christian home. My grandfather was a pastor for 60 years. My dad was a, you know, a deacon, elder, all that kind of stuff. We grew up in the church. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, missionary conferences. Whenever the doors were open, we were there. You know, Jesus basically at a young age, because my brother told me I was going to burn and go to hell when I was seven years old. And remember that story. I'll never forget that story. I prayed with my mom that night. Prayed for my brother that night. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but as I got older and I got into eighth grade, I went to a camp. And at camp, I started being questioned these things. How do you love God? I mean, my, my life really started changing as I started throughout stages of my life understanding what salvation meant, what it meant to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So I always grew up amongst all that. And so I, I have no, like, as in uh, 13 years old, I was in a gang. I was stabbed three times. Um, when I was 19, I was smoking pot every day, and I'm sorry, where was I? Okay. I don't have that kind of testimony. You've seen those testimonies. You've seen people that were so far away from God, they had a lifestyle that you sit there going, I can't relate to that. I would say, that'd be me, okay? Then you got people at the end of the spectrum, like, I grew up in the church. That's all I knew was the church, okay? That's me. But you see the wide spectrum here, but God reaches everybody a different place in their life and brings them to him. Mine was a simple story. So here's the deal. Looking at the building proposal, I'm looking at the capital campaign, and I'm saying this. It's not about me. It's about the future generations. Okay? I see where we are, and I'm basically saying, you know, I'm here every Sunday setting up chairs. As I set up a chair, you know, I'm praying for you all. I don't know who's going to sit in those chairs that I set up, but this is what I do every Sunday, right? Set up teams come, set up. Worship team practice, prepares. There's a lot of activity going on in our buildings. Sunday night, tonight, you're, there's going to be close to 70 people in the ministry center for the junior and senior high. Wednesday night at GPS, there's going to be close to 70 people plus for the little kids. I'm telling you right now, we, there's a reason why we split them from Sunday to Wednesday, because you can't put 140 plus people in that building and park, okay? It ain't happening. As soon as we split it, now it's grown again. Praise God, right? I think about all that kind of stuff, and you're like, Elisha, I feel like God's coming and placing a cloak over me and saying, hey, Rex, it's not about the cash. It's leaving my hands. It's not about the vote right now. You just remain obedient. Because it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So everything I do, everything I say, needs to honor that. So where does the Stump family come in when it comes to giving? We give. We've always given. For the next three years, though, we're committing to giving above and beyond. You need to hear that. In our life, it's always been 10% goes to God's ministry. Just, there it goes. And then the last couple years, it's like, well, what more can we do besides that? You need to know that before I was married, 
I was doing the Dave Ramsey financial peace stuff, okay? So over 20 years ago, before I was married, I was already on a budget. I was already watching. I married a woman who is awesome in understanding the same principles. So when we came together, we were very dialed in on the budget, 10% to God, all that kind of stuff. So it's, again, it's not like, dude, I never gave. I'm not that wide end of the spectrum. I'm down here saying, this is the way it always was for me. It's no different. So, thank you, God, for blessing me with a job. Thank you, God, for blessing me with a family. Thank you, God, for blessing me in so many ways. So now I have to come back here and look at this capital campaign and say, all right, God, what do you want me, my family, what do you want us to do in relation to this capital campaign? And God put a number on my heart. And I was like, give me another number, God. <laughs> it seems a little high. Um, and I went to Jenny with this, and I said, hey, we've been praying with it. Um, here's the number that God's laid on my heart. And you know what she said? How much? <laughs> I don't know if it was that tone, but it was something like that. The next morning, she'd already went through the budget and said, now, if we're going to do this, this means X amount of dollars comes out of our budget. We're going to have to start cutting all over the place. I said, I know. I know. Kill the cow. Burn the plow. <laughs> we'll figure out how to give up more. Because that may mean vacation money, Christmas money. That may mean uh, eat, swallow coffee money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, seriously, look through the life and say, what, what do I sacrifice? Okay. And then the other thing is, what more can I do? There's opportunities as a pastor. Sometime when I go somewhere, they'll give me an honorarium. There you go. Maybe you're going to start, you know, started a recycling program. Well, let's just start going around picking up cans everywhere to recycle. Why not? Selling off possessions, as you talked about. You know, there's, there's multiple ways. So, Trust me, when I say that our eyes are opening to how we are blessed as a family, oh, they're, they're getting opened right now. The last two weeks, they've been getting opened. We have our daily bread, and some days it's tight. And you need to understand uh, another thing about this, is that I work full-time with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We raise our finances 100%, okay? We're missionaries. So I'm going out raising support to support what we do with FCA. If we don't raise enough money, our office shuts down. I don't get a paycheck. Thank God that this church has supported me, okay? Because three times this year, we've already got to the point where I get a letter coming in saying, hey, if you don't raise more money by the end of the month, office shuts down, no questions asked, okay? Praise God that within the next week or two, out of the blue, thank you, God, a check comes in to support the ministry. Wow. So way, you need to hear that because here's how I think. I'm like a squirrel sometimes saying, winter's coming, store up the nuts. You know what I'm saying? Oh, if I don't get a paycheck next month for FCA, how can I even consider committing this much to God out of my paycheck when I may not even get that paycheck? But you know what? Burning the plow, killing the cow. God wants me to do this. God's been so faithful in providing our daily bread. He's so good. So you need to understand, I'm sharing this with you because you need to understand my mentality is why would I even consider doing that when I'm not even 100% sure I'll get a check? Because God's faithful, that's why. Faith is not walking by sight, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. And I trust God on his principles for who he is as God. And that gets scary to me at times. But I, and I think maybe this is why a month ago, God laid this passage on my heart because I don't have to fully understand to obey completely. And I want God to use me. So I've got to learn to do with less. 
So I'm working on it as your pastor, and I want you to hear that from me to know where I am in all this. Okay? And I think it's exciting because when you are obedient, when you do sacrifice, when you give up stuff, guess what? You see God at work, and that's awesome. If this capital campaign were to fall flat on its face right now, you know what? Oh, I think it's already been a blessing. I'm seeing a lot of you serve in ways you've never served before. That's incredible. We've lost nothing. You just need to know that, okay? To reach more people for Christ, to pray more, to discipleship more, to give more. Ask me what we've lost. Nothing. We've gained so much as a church. We are very blessed. That's why it's a blessing to stand up here every Sunday and be a part of this. To share with you the challenges that God gives me to pass on to you. So my church family, we don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Let God start working in your heart to understand, you know what? Learn to hold on to less. It's not about us. It's all about Him. And you've seen it happen in your life. Let's see it happen in the lives of others. Amen? Would you stand, please, and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the mighty God that you are, for the opportunities to serve you and worship you in so many ways. Thank you, Lord, that today we just, an opportunity to sort of be aware of the vision of this church. For those who have shared about their past and their present, and to think about the future of this church. Lord, the thing is, we cannot see into the future. We don't have a five-year plan. That's okay because neither did Elisha. All he knew was in that moment, he needed to be obedient. So he let go of the things that were going to keep him from staying where he was. God, there's some things going on in our lives right now that have kept us from moving forward in our faith. Not just financially, not just about a building, not just about a capital campaign, but Lord, maybe there's somebody in this room this morning that's like, I have not been able to be at peace because I've been so full of worry and I just can't let go. Maybe somebody's got a plow in front of them today that has worry written all over it or fear written all over it or resentment written all over it, anger written all over it. Lord, it's time to burn those plows, to surrender that to you, to walk forward with you as a church. So Lord, as we sing this song to you, Lord, let our hearts be opened up. Confess to you, seek to you, sing to you. Lord, deal with us as we worship in this song. In thy name we pray, amen.